I don't mean to pull off a, a scab, so if you need to ignore this first part of the, the sermon, feel free to, but I have to talk about my dad for a second, because I don't know what it was like in your house growing up, but in my house, it was dad's way or the highway. Now, of course, my dad, who does listen to these sermons, actually, um, you know, he wasn't domineering or anything like that, but it was clear that, that it was dad's way or the highway, and I don't know if we ever really got close to the highway or not. I don't think I ever did. I'm pretty sure my brothers didn't either, so congrats to them. But I can assure you, we all did live under a healthy sort of fear of dad at times when we needed to. Again, not because he was domineering, but there were expectations. And so there were times when there was anxiety. Now, most of the time it was fine. I managed to not pierce anything or get a tattoo and there was food and a room for me to sleep in. I tried to work hard and, and study in school, and, well, they helped pay for college, even when I failed Spanish 2 that one time. Never liked Spanish 2. I bring that up because, you know, even though I lived under fear of dad and Fear of breaking the lawnmower or scratching the car or not making a good grade. Maybe those are just the big things. The reality is my dad had his way. Your dad probably had his way. Come to think of it, your mom had her way. And our grandparents had their way. And ultimately everybody sort of just has their way about them. My kids aren't here yet to roll their eyes, but I'm sure they would say, oh yes, Dad has his way. And the thing about our ways is that they make us unique. They bring about the charm. They help us recognize who we are and who each other is. And most of the time, everybody just sort of having their way about them is part of what makes us a unique, wonderful mosaic of people. I introduce that to say I also think, spiritually speaking, the Spirit of God has a way, a particular way, an important way. And I believe there's ways that we can see the Spirit's way at work revealing itself in our midst. And that if a church pays attention to the Spirit's way, especially as we consider the contrast between what I would say is the Spirit's way in part of Act 6 and the other way, the end of Act 6, we can see, are we living by the Spirit's way or are we pushing out the way of the Spirit? So as we move to Act 6, we move to this passage that we don't normally read as a unit. We normally read one half at one time, and the other half in another time. But I think if we hold them together, what we can see is a, a great contrast for how the Spirit is at work and how the Spirit is not allowed to work. 
Pay attention to that as we turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. We'll read the whole thing. It's just a handful of verses. Now during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of disciples, and they said, It's not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we may appoint to the task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. The word of God continued to spread and the number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then some who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cretans and Alexandrians and others of those from Sicilia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. They couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes, and they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stops saying things against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, And will change the customs that Moses handed to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I can with as much confidence as one can have without going back and looking at every service of worship I've ever attended in my life, I can confidently say I have only heard the first part of Act 6 in a deacon ordination service. I've read it here like five times for deacon ordination services. But up until today, I'm not sure I've ever heard it in the regular context of worship. Now, it's a great passage to use for a deacon ordination service. It's a a passage that I think we all could interpret if we were in one of those emergent, young, new churches where they had dialogical sermons and talk back. I could ask you to describe for me what is the first part of Acts 6 all about. And you could get it right. You, You know what this story is about. We consider the fact that there are new Christians in this story in Acts 6. And and the church realized that some were being forgotten. 
And at this point in the church's life, they were, they were being very intentional as a collective, and they didn't want anyone to be forgotten. And so they worked to solve the problem. A set of deacons were elected for the local congregation there. The deacons were to intentionally minister and care for those in need so that the apostles could continue their ministry of proclaiming and and, and praying. Everyone was appointed to live out their strengths. It was the deacons who were going to eliminate the separation between the Hellenists and the Hebrews, the insiders and the outsiders. The deacons were going to level the playing field so that no one was a favored participant in the congregation. The deacons were the ones who were going to balance the scales and keep others from being marginalized. The prophets, the apostles, the preachers, the teachers, they weren't they weren't leveling the scales. It was the deacons who were doing that. The deacons were welcoming everyone and giving everyone a fair seat at the table. And this is the message that is preached at a deacon ordination service. That being a deacon is an important job that takes diligence and devotion and we believe you are fit to do it. But if we zoom out and consider that whole chapter, we can see some more there. And hopefully we see the Spirit's way. And maybe we see it because we see what's in the second half of Acts chapter 6 also. Now, usually when you read the the second half of Acts chapter 6, it's the story of Stephen. The, the commentaries will divide chapter 6 and say this is this one thing and then the Stephen story is 6 and 7. And so you meet Stephen when he's ordained a deacon and then you learn that he's full of the Holy Spirit. You learn he's doing amazing things and his story ends at the end of chapter 7 as he is stoned by this congregation who decides they don't like him. But in chapter 6, he's full of the Spirit. He performs signs and wonders. He inspires people. He performs things through the power of the Spirit that, that people are amazed by. But not all people. It doesn't sit well with some. It's confusing and, and, and frustrating that someone is trying to embody the generosity and grace of the Spirit of God, yet then they are not favored. They decide they don't like this guy who's bringing in the power of the Spirit of God. And so they drum up falsehoods. They stir the people up with gossip, presumably, They accuse him of blaspheming Moses, which, by the way, isn't a thing because you can't blaspheme Moses. You can only blaspheme God. But what they do is they manage to turn the tide of public opinion against Stephen, who really didn't do anything wrong, but followed the direction of the Spirit and ministered generously and faithfully among a people who were supposed to be seeking to know the Lord more fully. Now, 
if you really think about it. You've seen this happen before, haven't you? Oh, maybe not in this church, but, but, but in churches, in organizations, in community groups you are a part of, anywhere people gather and someone has a tendency to want to feel like their way is better than everybody else's way and they feel threatened, maybe they drum up things and lash out. Anytime people decide they've had enough and they decide to turn on someone, it can go badly. And with Stephen, it went badly, didn't it? The, the Scriptures are clear. They stretched the truth. They made up false claims. They blatantly wronged him for the sake of maintaining their own measures of control. And in doing so, they push out the Spirit of God. They keep the Spirit's way out. They just decided it was their way or the highway. And so they sent God's way to the highway. A highway that ended up being paved with the stones that they used to kill Stephen. And this is not what we want. Is it? We may know some who like to live this way, but, but it, it's not the way that God's Spirit calls us to live. The Spirit's way is different. It's more happy. It's more hopeful. It's more joy-filled. And so we go back to that first part of Acts 6. We go back and we, we typically dwell on the particular of this passage, telling deacons about their particular duties of being servant leaders and focusing on the actions of, of individuals. But, but considering all that happens in that passage, even as simple as it is, helps us to realize that, that the church faced a problem but they decided to face it together. And they didn't rely on some of the typical solutions that a church might rely on. Oh, well, you know, if the deacons just, if, 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 if those disciples just worked harder, then everybody could get food. Or if everybody would just whine a little bit less, then it would be okay. And maybe those things are true. But you remember Henry Ford. He said, if I had asked people what they had wanted, they would have invented a faster horse. And, and Ford manages to revolutionize manufacturing and transportation, not by making horses run faster, but by solving the problem in a different way. And so, left alone, the Hellenists may have just begged the apostles, please come serve us more, just work harder, care better. But that's not what happens. 
through the power of the Spirit, the, the congregation gathers and, and collaborates and they, they think inside the box and they think outside the box and they consider what's been done in the past and who they were and they consider, well, through the inspiration of, spirit, of the Spirit, they fashion something new. A deacon. The Gospels don't talk about deacons. David didn't foreshadow deacon ministry in the Psalms. Solomon didn't talk about it in the Proverbs. There is not a single Old Testament reference or an Old Testament prophet who proclaims that one day you're going to get deacons and it's going to be the best. And those of you who have been deacon meetings are like, what? Wait. No, no Old Testament prophet proclaimed that. It was the gathering of of God's people, accountable and faithful to one another, who worked through a problem and created a new way forward under the inspiration of the Spirit. A way they hadn't imagined when they levied the complaint, but a way that through generosity and collaboration solved the needs of all the people, not just some of the people. And I think in a way that's God's way, that's the Spirit's way. It reflects how Jesus lived and worked and ministered and taught, and it reflects how on this Trinity Sunday, as we recognize God as Father, Son, and Spirit together, three in one, one in three, how the Spirit works with and through and among us as well. Because the way of the Spirit of God is is one that's willing to lead us through and into tomorrow, as individuals and as families and and as a church, if we can be driven by that way, if we can be governed by that way, a way that doesn't squelch every new idea just because we don't like it, a way that if we're willing to work together meets needs beyond just our individual needs, A way that when we follow it, paves a new path forward that is different from the past, yet is connected. And a way that if we can follow it, does lead to life and joy and hope and a future. A future of fully experiencing God's love afresh and anew with each other, through each other, and for each other which is the exact opposite of what happened in the second half of Acts 6 and to Stephen. And so, in a way, there's two ways in Acts 6. And we have to ask ourselves, which way do we want to follow? Are we willing to work with one another under the guidance of the Spirit of God Or will we be a party to what happened to Stephen and that road which ultimately led to death? Today everyone's celebrating Father's Day. It's a great day for those of us who had great fathers. It's a day when we can make fun of our old man sitting in his lounge chair or rocking on his porch, acting like Clint Eastwood at the beginning of Gran Torino, declaring that the kids need to get off of his lawn. 
And in a way, crusty old get off my lawn dad is kind of what happened in the second half of Acts 6, isn't it? Those folks were closed off to anything that was different from what it was they wanted. They were so set in their ways that they were completely and fully unwilling to follow the Spirit of God. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be called to something else. We don't want to be the old men and and women who let things end with us. So instead of declaring it's our way or the highway, maybe we declare it's the Spirit's way or the highway. Maybe we get devoted to the ways of the Spirit of God so that together we can sense how the Spirit helps us create anew. And maybe when we trust that the Spirit is beckoning us to a new place in a new way, as it did for Acts chapter 6, we will see that right there, after they started their new way, the Word of God continued to spread and the number of the disciples increased in Jerusalem. And even the priests became obedient to the faith. Through the power of the Spirit, the church kept working. Through the power of the Spirit, deacons were created and we liked them so much we still have them today. And through the power of the Spirit, we will follow the Lord forward. That's my prayer for us today. And, and it's a prayer of hope, a prayer that leads to joy. And it's a prayer in a way for which we can say thanks be to God. Now will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we do give you thanks for this day that we have. We give you thanks for all that this day means as we consider Father's Day, as we consider in passing Trinity Sunday, as we consider children's interns who care for kids this summer and lead us in a new way with children, as we consider youth who will travel almost halfway across the country to do ministry and to sense a new way. Lord, we give you thanks for all the things that are going on on this day and and we pray that you would help us discern the ways today that are the Spirit's way so that we might follow faithfully in your footsteps. We might follow the path you are paving for us, that we might follow a path paved in stones that build something hopeful and meaningful as a part of the kingdom of God. And that we might not use stones to to stone one another. May we, Lord, follow your way. May we, Lord, sense your presence and your love and the joy of following your way today. This, O Lord, is our prayer, and we offer it in your name. Amen.